Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello everyone and welcome to another Wessex LMC's podcast. My name is Dr Laura Edwards and I'm one of the Joint Chief Executives here and I'm joined by Will Howard, one of our Medical Directors. Hi Will. Hello there, thanks Laura. I'm Will Howard, I'm one of the Medical Directors here at Wessex LMC's and a GP in South West Hampshire. And we are verbalising our newsletter. This is episode two. Um, and this is the uh, newsletter that went out on the 5th of October last week. So, Will, what did we have our introduction about last week? Um, so our intro last week was about a bit of a hot topic that's uh, on most GPs uh, minds at the moment. This is the DDRB General Practice Salaried Staff Pay Award. Important to point out the title here is the Salaried Staff Pay Award. So um, earlier in the year, the DDRB, which is an organisation which advises the government on pay for various aspects of healthcare, uh, made a recommendation that was really unusual. It recommended that all GP salaried staff um, be awarded a 6% pay uplift. Um, noting the difference between that uh, GP practice salaried staff that are not on the agenda for change pay scale. So that's most staff working in GP practice at the moment. And uh, this 6% pay award, which was recommended and was then noted by NHS England that should be awarded to those staff working in our practices on the background of our current contract, which gave us a 2.1% contractual uplift already this year. So clearly a big gap between the 2.1% which we received in our contract mm. uplift to the 6% that we might be asked to give to our salaried staff. A bit of a headache for practices to make ends meet there. So the GPC has been working in negotiation with NHS England on how they can make this work. How can practice be give, practices be given the money to support the pay to those hardworking staff in our practices, um, allowing partners to be able to pay the staff? Um, and the uh, recommendation that came down as part of the agreement was that NHS England have awarded a part of our contract um, something called the other staff expenses part of our global sum pay, a um, rise that will meet the 6% salaried staff pay uplift. Um, this is due to be uh, paid as backdated, so backdated to April 23, so to cover the financial year to where we are now. And it's due to be received in the uh, financial statement of the global sum to all practices towards the end of October. Um, and this is to include on costs such as national insurance, superannuation, and so on. Okay, so it's really unusual, wasn't it? It's worth reflecting that DDRB is the Doctors and Dentists uh, Review Body, uh, which doesn't mean, it usually doesn't give any pronouncements around all the other staff that are in uh, general practice. It is usually just limited to doctors. But in that government press release, it said all salary practice staff, which is really unusual uh, for them to do that. So we're not quite sure how it ended up like that. But uh, again, recognising how hard our staff are working and the cost of living and inflation stuff, it's been really welcome news that this is kind of some way towards the recognition of uh, what we're under, whereas it's, but otherwise we're getting treated again quite differently to pay offers that have been made to other parts of the NHS, which again, we're, we're kind of fed up of. Um, so uh, given how hard we work and how productive we are and how much our patients need us um, and how difficult practices are finding it to retain staff when we've got competitors like Aldi or other supermarket brands out there who are able to pay people more. Um, so uh, we're limited by our financial envelope. So this has been welcome news. I think, again, we're looking at some of the subtleties of this, of, of that actually... Um, 
that not all practice income comes from the main NHS contracts. And we're seeing that quite a few have uh, contracts around enhanced services, which, again, have not necessarily followed this national uplift. Um, and that may leave practices with a bit of a gap. Uh, so that's something for them to, to look at, be cognizant of, and think through what they can offer. Um, they need to look at their salary staff contracts and see what it says. Again, we would encourage uh, employees to be as, as generous as they can be and, and follow the spirit of this uh, award, even if um, the uh, salary GP contract for some reason misses it out, because the model contract does have it in. But if it isn't, there, then um, we would ask them to uh, take that into consideration. Anything else you want to add on that? Yeah. I just thought it was worth adding that this has raised the global sum per weighted patient. So um, a, a good sort of raw statistic is that this has made the global sum rise from £102.28 pence to £104.73 per weighted patient, just to give you an idea of the rise that we're talking about that practices are going to receive um, yeah. in order to support. In a, in a classic way, the government always bundle it up and uh, and put it in massive amounts, don't they? Of kind of billions, millions, millions here that they put across. And then, of course, when we actually look at it, you know, it's a couple of pounds. And I'm still not totally sure you can insure your hamster uh, or your cat uh, for that for a year. So um, it's still an absolute bargain as far as the taxpayers yes. are concerned. You, you certainly can't get Sky TV or buy a new, a new nice new iPhone on contract yeah. for that amount. That's for sure. But we're exactly. giving our patients all of that healthcare for that amount of money remarkable we are amazing so um anyway so moving on um we are going on to biobank uh so biobank um uh, do you want to talk about biobank or am i i'm talking around that i think aren't i so biobank was uh, looking at, at research it's a research organization um and they uh were talking uh, in very reassuring tones in a letter uh about access to patient records um and uh, i think if you're a, a, approached by them the letter said everybody thought this was wonderful including the bma and there was a, a slightly public spat because the bma actually wanted to make clear that in fact they had not endorsed it um, and in fact it had been uh, an informal endorsement by somebody who uh, was a past uh, person high up in the BMA so it was all slightly disingenuous and this was pointed out to them rather publicly by uh, Katie Bramlstana um, because she felt that it wasn't being, being transparent uh, so actually in fact um, the uh, head of the biobank has actually um, written I think and apologised um uh, and saying that communication was an error um and they've agreed to redact it so the bma uh, says that you know actually take take time over this um think about requests to share patient data um and don't sort of take the blanket thing of everybody says it's fine because the bma have certainly not said it's fine so um that was just an update to that story for those of you who'd watched that on Twitter. Um, that moves us on to another contentious issue. So our newsletter is shorter this week, but there's <laughs> more hot potatoes in it. Um, so we're now on the Accelerated Access to Records programme update. Um, and again, because it's so live, things have moved on since we sent out the newsletter on Friday. Um, so uh, this the deadline for this, this has been a rolling deadline, hasn't it? This has now been on our radar and off our radar and back on our radar for a number of months, I think tipping into years now. Uh, and each time the, the can has been kicked down the proverbial road on it. Um, but now everyone appears to be holding fast to 31st of October 2023. 
um, that patients will have uh, prospective access automatically going forward from that date, unless practices do something um, that, that prevents that from happening. So should you or shouldn't you? Should you let this roll or not? There is a manual switch on to this process as well as there's a manual switch off to this process. And there is a decision for practices to make. The difficulty is, is that there is disagreement is probably a very subtle word around it at, at the kind of top echelons of is this OK or not OK? Is this safe? or not safe. And when we say it's safe, is it safe for patients? Is it safe for practices? Um, and, and there are still significant differing opinions at a national level around uh, that safeness. And that is kind of practically safe um, in terms of things like safeguarding, um, but also in terms of legally safe for practices in terms of some any legal challenge. Um, and it does feel like rock and a hard place because when it comes to it, practices, unless you're very fortunate, do not have access uh, to kind of in-house expertise or legal departments that are going to be able to take this up and so we're looking to others in the system to be able to give us guidance and we would think that the people who've given us our contract would have thought this stuff through and we would think that the ICO would be in agreement with it and yet all of those things are, and legislation in agreement with it and all of those things are not in fact givens and all of that seems to be still being bounced around uh, nationally. So the place we're at now is uh, on Friday, they were saying we're about to publish guidance. Uh, and in fact, they have now published this comprehensive guidance. And it seems to rest upon uh, what can be shortened to a DIPA or DPIA, um, which is your data protection impact assessment. And that, when you complete it, is going to give you your answer of whether you are going to open up your records or you feel it is safer not to open up your records. Um, the BMA have uh, have done one, uh, and they uh, you can use uh, theirs, um, which is included. Um, I think NHS Digital have said they've they've got one as well. They also recommend that practices do that. They've just come out on the Futures Forum and said that. Um, so everybody's pointing at that now. Do we think that gives you an answer by putting two plus two in and you get four? Probably not. Um, however, as an LMC, because again, we feel that this burden of responsibility is quite heavy to be laid around the necks of, of individual GP practices, given this is a national direction. We have gone to the DPOs as your LMC and asked them to clarify what steps they have taken so far and how far they've got with DPIAs, given that they are your experts that you are um, supposed to refer to. Um, so um, that's what we're doing. It does feel like it's all very much still in play, which is slightly frustrating and it will be stress inducing given the deadline is so close. Uh, a lot of this feels very late in the day um, and uh, really difficult to know what the right answer is. Again, you're trying to do the best for your patients. You're trying to also keep yourselves legally safe. Um, and it's a really, really difficult um, line line to tread. It's it's very difficult. I think to to be clear, uh, the government have imposed a contract on GPs that includes the need, the requirement for um, patients to be allowed to have prospective access to their GP record, and then we've got the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, who are potentially saying, "But GPs, if you do this, you might be in breach of their patient's information, and we as GPs are responsible for that patient information. We are their data controllers." So, uh, general practitioners, GP practices are between a rock and a hard 
hard place. That means that we need to make find the best way through this. It's finding a compromise. So trying to implement your own DPIA, so performing what the BMA have suggested is a good starting point. Um, bearing in mind that we as your LMC are also going to the DPOs locally in your areas and asking for their view and opinion. And of course, we will share that as soon as we have that opinion from them and that we hope will inform you to allow you to make the best decision. But I, I think that if you are finding this stressful, you're not alone. Um, everyone is finding this stressful because there's no clarity from yeah. on high. And that's exactly. the difficulty. Yeah, it's really hard. And um, for those of you who are minded to to do it or wondering what it's like, you know, if you do open it up, we have just done a podcast. Um, was that with yourself, Will? I think I'm right in saying. And the it, team, Lisa. It was um, in my practice. It was in yeah. my practice. It was with our practice manager. And I, I'm a, a, a GP in a practice. And we've had um, prospective access for patients for over a year now. And I, I've been pleasantly surprised, having been a real sceptic initially, really quite worried about the impact this might have on our workload, mm. on patients themselves. But actually, the simplicity by which you can um, make particularly um, patients who you are worried may be vulnerable. You can make sure they do not have access or you can make individual notes not visible to the online record in particular circumstances. As long as you have a clear policy within your organization, that helps everybody understand their role in maintaining that policy and maintaining the right information being available to patients, making sure it's not harmful um, and really doing your best with what is a complex set of information uh, management for us all so i've been pleasantly surprised that's my experience of it of yeah. course there's always going to be people with other experiences which we're happy to support if you run into Absolutely. trouble and i think different practices are in different places with different populations and different level of risk attached to those populations as yeah. well again remembering that patients are individuals and all practices are very unique so i think you're right you know your practice may have arrived at one conclusion and other practices may feel in a different place just to remind you again because Will and I uh, volunteered and we, we did uh, some little short videos less than a minute was our challenge of how to uh, keep a, a consultation from view so again if you feel that it's safer in the patient's best interest that that is not seen um, then we've done one minute videos which are on our website around that um, to, to keep you and patients safe around that so um uh, i think that's everything on that it is live um yeah you know watch this space and we will keep uh, sharing information with you around that um so moving on to gp pressures workforce data are you going to fill me with sunshine rays here uh, sunshine rays well <laughs> given that you said that we kept those videos to a minute i know mine was not a minute which is probably about as good as us recording this podcast which is meant to be a brief summary and here we are chit chatting away as usual we're the wrong people to be doing this laura but never mind um so gp pressures workforce data so this is the latest gp workforce data that's been published and um, I, I think we all know the way that GP workforce has been heading in the last few years. There's going to be no new surprises for anybody who reads this. So I'll keep it as brief as possible so that you can enjoy whatever it is you're doing without worrying too much about your workforce. Um, so since 2015, there are 27,246 full-time GPs in the UK currently, which is 2,118 fewer than there were in September 2015. And in the last year, we've lost 269 fully qualified full-time GPs. Um, looking at that data, it's important the government often quotes total number of GPs. They will often include GPs in training. Um, these are GPs that are fully qualified whole-time equivalents. What is very clear is, is that we are losing GPs far too quickly 
particularly those leaving the profession towards the end of their career far sooner than they had perhaps planned. And that's leading to large numbers of patients per GP. There's an increase of, on average, 363 patients per whole-time equivalent GP, a 20% rise in the total patient numbers per GP since 2015, which demonstrates the rising workload in general practice. Yeah. Um, one of the most important messages, though, doom and gloom, let people know about this. So this is where your PPG might actually be a good resource. Let your PPG know. Engage your local media if you are minded to do so. Um, and the BMA website has quite a lot of good information. Um, BMA press releases are available. And you can see the link in the website. But also look at our website, Wessex LMCs, has a lot of patient-facing facing information, media that you can download and use for your patients, looking at the number of patients, looking at workload, and how the number of patients patients per GP might be impacting why patients cannot necessarily access their patients like they could in 2005 and 2015. So it's really, really good. And then the other part to this is managing workload. If you want the GPs that are actually on the towards the end of their career to stay, we need to make general practice an environment that they enjoy coming to. That may include um, uh, implementing the BMA safe working guidance, limiting the number of patient contacts, realistically for the day, knowing that this is something that might take a while to implement. You can't just implement things overnight. So it's just another yeah. observation of a tool that you could use. And I think it's, yeah, it's being realistic, isn't it? Like if we have fewer staff, you know, again, it's amazing what we're actually achieving in terms of appointments. I'm going to meetings and pointing out that we're in these recovery, uh, recovery, access recovery meetings. And I'm always saying, what are we trying to recover? You've just said at the beginning of this, we've got 16% more appointments than we had before the pandemic. And we've got fewer staff doing it. So we are ultra productive. Um, but actually, it, it burns people out is what we're seeing. And we've tried spinning the hamster wheel faster. And we're doing more appointments. And the demand just doesn't disappear. There is there is a huge amount of demand. And, and we look at our population. Again, those of you who've been to meetings recently, you know, we know we have a medically complex population. However, we have to be real and we have to be safe and actually say, there is only so much we can achieve. We are human beings doing this. So do think about safe working again just to refer you back to that podcast and um, that's on there if you have a look uh, then we did that recently uh, looking at two practices that have they have called it safe working but they they did something which was actually really similar and actually it's done them they're a little bit late of the way down the line initial bit of a bumper as the patients are like whoa what changed but actually having got a little bit further down the line both the staff love it um, and the patients actually like it as well because everything becomes more predictable. So people like predictability. Right, okay, so moving swiftly on, we're going to rattle through the next three bits. Uh, there was a bit of a touch base again on the CNSDP and indemnity, just reminding you again, they're laying out their things. They only do the stuff relating to uh, the GMS contract. Um, so anything that is not NHS, so that's DVLA, that's local authority safeguarding, that's coroner's cases, anything like that, they do not cover it. Uh, so just a reminder there that you will need to find some kind of indemnity to cover that. Uh, we briefly mentioned the breast patches show, it's on the 11th to 12th of October. Anybody who's going to that, have a wonderful time. Um, Sessional GPs conference, that was mentioned as well. Everybody there has had a great time in that. Um, uh, and they're, they're looking again at workload uh, for sessional GPs and they are about to launch a workload toolkit, uh, which we, we wait to see. Um, and then there was a mention for the undergraduate GP placement survey. So this is for medical schools and they're thinking about why don't people want medical students? They're struggling to get enough. There is a, an opportunity to do a survey there, which takes less than five minutes to complete and you can feed that back. 
Then we move to another hot topic, which is the flu vaccinations. Uh, we have got a top tips, which contains everything you would ever want to know about flu and flu vaccination. You can find that on our website. Um, but also a particular question that keeps coming up is, can we move flu vaccines? We're seeing people either having too much or too little. Um, and the answer is yes, you can. So the answer previously was no. People will be saying no, they were shouting. But in fact, yes, there was an exemption um, to the uh, statutory uh, virus statutory in- instrument. However, there is a but to that because you have to follow certain rules. Um, so you need to be part of a flu collaboration agreement. If you want to see the link to that, it's in our top tips. And um, you have to fulfill certain criteria. So if you want to move it around, you can, but make sure you read the rules before you do it. Otherwise, you're, you're breaking the law on that. Um, and then we touched on a few other things. So we've mentioned the podcast there already about online access to medical records. Uh, and then the Rebuild General Practice Campaign. So this is a national one um, that is working between GPDF, which is the GP Practitioners Defence Fund, uh, who have some funding from us, not us as an MC, you guys out in general practice. Um, and uh, they are, there's a, a group who are doing a, a campaign called Rebuild General Practice that, that happened a bit last year and they are relaunching the NESA aspect. They have been promoting continuity and how much patients like continuity, uh, which again is all about retaining the workforce. Otherwise, you definitely won't be able to see the same GP again because they will have you left. Um, so they are looking to launch that. And if you're interested in uh, getting involved in that, there are some email addresses in there or you can follow them on Twitter at RebuildGP. Uh, and then our own events, uh, we've got a couple coming up, in one in December around remote consulting for clinicians, a focus on safety netting and uh, a course um, uh, on data breaches in general practice. And that brings us to the end of our newsletter. Wow, Laura, that was amazing. Well done. You really got through that. Well, I think we very much hope that uh, verbalising the newsletter is useful to people, that you might find that you can listen to it in your car and you can listen to it out on a dog walk or anywhere else that you might have your headphones in or you're able to listen to a podcast. And that it just allows you to access the newsletter in a, in a different format and that you can share it with others if they haven't seen this. So thank you for joining us again and we will continue this. Please feel free for, to feed back to us if you think that we're doing things well. Please let us know. If you'd like to see us improve or change any little bits of this, please also let us know at the LMC and you can contact contact us via the website. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. We'll hope to have you back again soon. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.